Hey guys, we would like to ask you once again to please rate and review us on iTunes at the start of the show because who listens to the end? Right, <laughs> totally. We just want to know if you guys are engaging what you think. It really, really does make a difference, so please do it. Thank you. Hello. This is Joya Italiano. This is Jeff Ekman. And welcome to Oh, That's a Thing, a podcast about the real science and sci-fi movies. Even if you haven't seen the movie, don't worry. We use the movies as jumping off points for some pretty awesome and real topics. That's right. We're not experts at all. We're actually just a couple of goons who Googled some stuff. But this stuff is pretty cool. Yeah, so sit back, relax, maybe learn a thing or two. Here we go. Here we go. It's me, a Mario. <laughs> and me, a Luigi. Yeah, <laughs> I'm a going to win. Guys, we watched Super Mario Brothers. Is that the, what this movie's called? Yeah, it is. <laughs> Super Mario Brothers. It's the world's greatest video game movie of all time ever made. <laughs> Yike-a-ronies. I don't know if you guys remember this terrible, terrible movie. What year was it? 93. It was oh. Bob Hoskins and John Leguizamo as Mario and Luigi. You get a directing couple. Is that right? Oh, my God. Well, first, let's listen to the trailer. Yeah. Where are we? I got a feeling we're not in Brooklyn no more. They're brothers. They're plumbers. Oh, no. Mario! Luigi! They're on the trail of a kidnapped princess and a mystical meteorite. It's incredible! That gives anyone who possesses it the power to rule the universe. Get me the rock! They must rescue the princess Super Mario Brothers. This ain't no game. I've got the power. This ain't no game. <laughs> I wish I had the power to unmake this movie. Yeah. oh Unwatch it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You'll be shocked to hear this, but Siskel and Ebert gave it two thumbs down. Oh, no. <laughs> well, before we watched the trailer, you were mentioning that it was a couple directing team, and it was. It was a husband and wife. It was Rocky Morton and Annabelle Jankel, who they were... <laughs> fucking is that's her name Annabelle right jankle yeah it's such a great name okay <laughs> old j jingle jankles so they directed max headroom right yeah that thing that i didn't know until we did the show <laughs> yeah we actually uh, maybe we can even drop in audio of you being like what the fuck is <laughs> right. max headroom yeah let's hear it yeah and what you're about to witness is one of the most sinister sounding intros to a trailer to one of the greatest epics ever produced in the history of t t television He's terrifying. Yeah. <laughs> okay, but the script was originally written by Dick Clement and Ian Lafrenet. I don't know. And the, the script originally focused on old Mario and Luigi's relationship in the absence of their parents. But, of course, a few weeks before shooting began, the studio demanded significant rewrites to make it more childlike and comedic, which is kind of why, like, this movie doesn't know what it needs or wants to be. <laughs> well, why was it ever not childlike and comedic? Uh, yeah, like a video game. <laughs> well, Bob Hoskins didn't even know what Mario was until his son asked him what he was working on, and he was like, oh, Mario, because he's English, right? And his son was... <laughs> he's like, Dad, come over here, and showed him on his Nintendo. That like, is yeah. insane. That he was shooting the movie and didn't know what Mario was. And like nobody, it's agent, nobody was like, you know, from the popular Nintendo game. <laughs> I'm sure he was sent a script and he was yeah. said yes. It's like, all right, Plumber Brothers, they're here to, got the power! <laughs> well, Danny DeVito was not only offered to play Mario, but was offered to direct Mario. Oh my God, and he said no to both. Yes. 
Did you know that Tom Hanks wanted the role of Mario? But no. N- Nintendo worried that the star of Turner and Hooch and Joe versus the Volcano could not headline a blockbuster. You fools. What? Yeah. This is like the year of Hanks, right? Hanks. Like this is like the year that like Forrest Gump comes out and stuff. Like he was who in the early nineties would think that Tom Hanks right. can't carry a movie? He'd That's, already been big. He'd been big. <laughs> he had been big. I know. I just I mean all of and it was. And a million crazy. other things. Splash. Yeah. You name yeah. it. Money well, trap. <laughs> money pit. The money pit. Money traps. <laughs> Well, apparently John Leguizamo and Bob Hoskins, you know, they hated the experience so much that they would just get shit housed during filming. <laughs> so much so that apparently because of drinking on set, John Leguizamo was hit by a car, breaking his leg. You can even see the cast in some shots of the movie. Whoa. That's crazy. <laughs> well, I did read that Bob Hoskins was once asked these three questions. What is the worst job you've ever done? What has been your biggest disappointment? And if you could edit your past, what would you change? And the answer to all three were Mario Bros. Oh, I would, I would imagine. Yep. He's, he's a great performer, that Bob Hoskins. Also, Bob Hoskins was saying how it was like a fucking nightmare because, you know, this husband and wife duo, they like wouldn't talk to each other before they made decisions. Like Dennis Hopper was saying he was supposed to be there for five weeks and he was there for 17 weeks Whoa. so it went over like 10 million dollars like his apocalypse now of the 90s <laughs> <Right. laughs> <laughs> apparently their own the director's own agents came down and like threw them off the set so the editor came down and was like well i don't know how we're gonna do this guys whoa we're gonna make this movie so in like a week or two they basically cobbled together the fucking movie because the actual directors were thrown off set whoa what? Right? <laughs> and yeah. not replaced like, like i know like the editor <laughs> I know that these people are not hanging it together, but you know what would be even better than two bad leaders? No leader. No leaders at all. Just the editors being like, well, and then drunk Leguizamo in the corner. Yeah. Well, I also love that, like, it. this movie, you know, it has a lot to do with dinosaurs and things right. of that nature. Oh, I forgot there's actual things in this movie. Right. And this movie came out literally one week before Jurassic Park. Oh, man. Which we've done last week. That's right. This came. This episode is coming out one week after Jurassic Park. Yeah, but did Jurassic Park have some sweet, like, stegosaurus hair for Dennis Hopper? No, no. it didn't have the hair. It didn't have the hair gel. <laughs> Bowser hair. Yeah. <laughs> oh, well, speaking of Bowser, <laughs> yeah. for those of you who are wondering why Bowser and Koopa are the same, and, like, what the history oh, of, yeah. like, Bowser, Koopa, because he's called Koopa in this There's Koopa Trooper, there's movie. Bowsers, that, yeah. Exactly. And the best I could find is that Koopa was a Japanese name of a Korean dish that Miyamoto loved. Miyamoto was the guy who created Mario. Of course. And he called the character that until the character was given an American name, Bowser. Is that an American? I mean, like. I don't know. I've also seen his name as Bowser colon King of the Koopas (laughs) or King Bowser Koopa. Like first name, last name. Right. So what the truth is, is somewhere in the middle, it started with Koopa and it being a Korean dish that Miyamoto liked. My biggest issue is just the fact that I'm like, Bowser's not a name. No one names themselves (laughs) Bowser. It's kind of like a dog name. Is it? Yeah, I guess. Or is that after Bowser's? I don't know what, what, (laughs) the chicken or the egg on the Bowser. One final tidbit before we get this party started. One version of the script contained a cameo for Bruce Willis where he tunneled through the air ducts of King Koopa's castle in a spoof of his role in Die Hard. Oh, like he's like... Wouldn't that be wild? Like, oh, <laughs> chihuahua. I'm glad it- that didn't happen.
part of the idea here is that when the asteroid hit the Earth in dino times, it created a parallel universe which put all the dinos into it. And that's a concept that is going to fuel most of my research. Oh, that's from whence Dino Hatton came to be? That is from whence Dino Hatton okay. came to be. Just want to make some uh, contextual connection. I feel like there were there were winky moments. Uh, I mean, I feel like, hello, Joy, the whole thing. It was like an hour and a half wink. Fuck. Yeah. Sorry. Go on. But so, parallel universes. Yeah. There's some interesting evidence, potentially, for the existence of a parallel universe. In 2004... NASA mapped what's known as the cosmic microwave background radiation of the universe, Whoa. which is sometimes called the baby picture of the universe. Interesting. I actually have a map of this on the beach ball over there, if you see it in the corner, which is a gift that was given to me. I can attest he has the beach ball in it's, the corner. It's the W map image. I don't know if it was given to him, but it's we'll awesome. back. It was me. given to <laughs> So, because microwaves were able to penetrate the early dense universe while light still couldn't penetrate it, uh-huh. we're able to see further back in time with microwaves than traditional telescopes. Oh. So, this measures the temperature of the infant universe, and this is the earliest picture that we have possible of early, early, yeah, early universe. Early yeah, universe, yeah. exactly. It's a little baby universe. Yeah, it's just a little baby. <laughs> But basically, yeah, so this is the temperature, and what we found was that there's almost no fluctuations throughout the entire universe. It's pretty much the same temperature everywhere, and that led to the current understanding of the Big Bang as exploding and then mixing in a small universe, and then a second phase called inflation, which then expands and pushes everything apart. So the idea was like the Big Bang was in this really small space Uh and then everything like mixed together and became uniform and then the expansion occurred. And this expansion, we still like can measure it by measuring that empty space is expanding. This is something that we know is true, but we don't know why. Is that dark matter at all? Dark energy is related to this, but dark matter is something else, which I'm going to talk about in a second. Oh boy, okay. So one weird thing was found on this map of the baby universe, Mm -hmm. which is that there's this huge cold spot. And what we think the cold spot is, is evidence of a parallel bubble universe bumping into ours and leaving an imprint. Ooh. And so there's all these theories about multiverses. And Mm -hmm. one of them is that we all exist on this big membrane. And there's these giant membranes that are moving in between each other and that once every few trillion years, they bump into each other and that causes a big bang and that they would actually like touch and that explosion of energy is creates everything yeah and so we think that maybe a giant membrane bumped into our membrane (laughs) it's funny as you're talking all i kept visualizing was at the end of men in black when we like scroll like pan out and it's the it's the alien like playing marbles with our universe (laughs) and they're just like in his pocket or whatever exactly but if there are all these bubble universes, then it's possible that every combination of physics is tried out over the multiverse. Mm-hmm. And so as we try to understand our own physics, it may turn out to be the case that our universe is the only one that can support life. And mm-hmm. that's why things are the way they are. Mm-hmm. Like, it's like the only reason that we exist is because physics happened to work in our universe. Right. It's like such a crazy but- concept to me. And then it's just really one of those things where it's like, what the fuck is this cold spot? Yeah. And does it mean that everything we know is wrong? Probably, right? When we talk about dark energy and dark matter, it's 
kind of confusing because it doesn't mean that it's literally dark. It mm. just means that's like a name for something we don't understand. Or it's like antimatter. Antima- antimatter and dark matter is in my next section. Oh my God, I'm stoked. <laughs> so we're going to talk Thank about you. Give that. Give me some goddamn clarification, yeah. Jeff. <laughs> Coming up. So like there's a bunch of things like this that mm. make us question the Big Bang as like a perfect theory Mm -hmm. and a lot of this stuff doesn't make sense like inflation is a way to make what we know of the big bang make sense Mm -hmm. based on newer information that we have Mm -hmm. but it's probable that the big bang and inflation are wrong on some level right and we're getting indications of that how long do you think it'll be before we maybe have some more clarity well maybe in the next 10 years oh boy should i roll right into it yeah just fucking do it in the movie they talk about how this asteroid impact was so significant that it created a parallel universe and it put all the dinos into that and i was looking into ways that you could split the fabric of space time and there's actually some real shit going on here so vacuums are thought of as empty space but they actually have tiny particles of matter and antimatter that pop into existence and then they immediately annihilate each other Mm -hmm. like when matter and antimatter touch they explode and then they return to nothing. And they just explode? It, they it's called annihilating each other. Oh, That's man. the scientific term. Wow. <laughs> and so why or how they appear out of nowhere, we don't really know yet. And it's possibly related to parallel universe theories or just forces of the universe that we don't understand yet. Right. And the energy that makes up the particles come from the vacuum itself. And when they destroy each other, their energies returned to the universe. So they pop into existence and then they immediately kill each other and then they pop out of existence. And we know that that's happening, but we can't really study them because it happens so instantly. So these popping and locking folks make me think, well, because, you know, oftentimes that's the argument for when people talk about the Big Bang Theory, right? How can something come from nothing? One of the things that I hear often is like, what would a universe look like that kind of appeared out of nothing? Right. And this is what a universe like that would look like. Exactly. Right. And it's even, there's like theories that we don't yet know for sure that when matter and antimatter destroy each other, that there's maybe a little tiny fraction of matter left over Mm. at the end of that. And that may account for the creation of all the universe. Oh man. So there's this insanely huge laser that we've built called the extreme light infrastructure, ultra high field laser. Get some more names in that title. Get some more words in that title. (laughs) It can focus on an area of the space and it pulls apart the fabric of the vacuum. It allows us to see the particles of matter and antimatter for real. We're basically going to shoot this laser at an empty piece of space and pull the matter and antimatter particles that pop into existence Mm -hmm. apart from each other. So that we can study them and understand what they're actually doing. And like, it's not like they're like, we're going to zap this laser and then just tear a hole in the space time continuum, like in Stranger Things, right? But it's like, once you understand what those particles are doing on a like very granular scale, Mm -hmm. right? Like, well, maybe we'll understand, yeah, like how all matter exists. This laser uses 200 petawatts of power for less than a trillionth of a second. 200 petawatts of power is 100,000 times the amount of power produced by the world. The world? Yes. So it takes a really, really long time to build up the energy needed, and they store it in these huge capacitors, and then when it's ready and fully charged, it's going to focus for a trillionth of a second 100,000 times the power of the entire world. Oh, wow. 
We studied capacitors on this show. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I remember that. So getting back to dark matter, it's like when we look at galaxies, there aren't enough stars in the galaxy to keep it gravitationally stable. Mm -hmm. The only sense that we can make of it is that there's way more matter in the galaxy than we can actually see. Mm -hmm. And that's what we call dark matter. And this may actually illuminate what dark matter is doing. Mm -hmm. The laser was put on the books in 2011 and it's scheduled to be operational next year. Oh and so... Gosh. Over the next 10 years, it may we may really understand a lot more about the fundamental forces of the universe. Fuck. I even read about, like, the part of why they think that over time black holes dissipate is that because the forces at the edge of the black hole is so significant, sometimes as these matter and antimatter particles pop into existence, the black hole will pull one into its center mm -hmm. while the other one goes out. And so what winds up happening is that's literally stealing energy from the universe itself. Like it's supposed to right. annihilate each other and return that to the universe. Mm -hmm. But over time, these little particles can build up and actually evaporate a, an entire black hole. I know I'm like speechless because I'm just like, I don't even know what to say. It's a really that. heady concepts. Well, like, yeah, because I, I feel like within the last 10 years, I was even aware that these terms existed, let right. alone thinking in the next 10 years that we might actually have some sort of understanding about both how the universe formed, how, why the fuck we're here, how we're here. Yeah. Wow. We'll probably just make bombs out of it. Yeah. <laughs> because the truth is, like, matter and antimatter, there are theoretical antimatter bombs mm -hmm. that the way they work is, like, you keep antimatter in, like, some vacuum chamber where it never touches any matter, and then all it has to do is literally tap the glass that it surrounds, mm -hmm. and the, a million nuclear bombs would have exploded, right. you know? That's how powerful matter and antimatter, <laughs> when they yeah. touch. So, they don't uh... like each other. No risk of anything bad going down, guys. Yeah. The, that's the, the articles about this laser are like, well, the Large Hadron Collider didn't blow up the universe, so we're trying it again. Right. So as much as I wasn't a huge fan of this movie, I... I'm a huge fan of Mario, <laughs> yep. old Mario and Friends. This was a, like hugely formative in my formulative yeah. years. Yeah, yeah, what? yeah. Oh, okay, I was like, yeah. what's he? What is he communicating what to me? What is he yawing? God, such a big thing. So I wanted to just do a little mini stroll down memory lane when it comes to old Mario, right? So in the early 80s, Nintendo was but a struggling card and toy company, and they were just trying to break into the old arcade market. Mm -hmm. And so Nintendo president Hiroshi Yamauchi approaches this artist named Shigeru Miyamoto, who you mentioned earlier, who at, up until that point, he was working on like art for Nintendo's games. He was not a programmer, though. So like when he was approached, he just basically came up with a story before mm -hmm. figuring out any actual gameplay logistics you know, right which is pretty birthing atypical. the modern video game yeah, <laughs> yeah you know out well, yeah, of his well, mind well because up, up until that point it was kind of the reverse right like you figure out what your limitations are and then right. you create a game around that whereas he was like i'm gonna create this idea where you know this gorilla steals a chick and then you have to go after it so yeah. that's where he's throwing uh, barrels at you yeah that's where donkey kong first came into existence mm -hmm. very king kongian in its its own way what was i know mario's technically in that but isn't he called like jump Jumpman. man yeah, yeah jump so man. you you play as a little dude known as jump man and you know you can move left and right you climb the ladders you have to jump over the barrels that donkey kong has thrown at you and whatnot mm. 
So that was the first iteration of it. His name was not Mario at the time. When the game first arrived at Nintendo's American headquarters near Seattle, the team actually didn't like it, though. They thought it wasn't going to catch on, but of course it <laughs> was outrageously successful. To say the least. Uh, yeah, but what was, was crazy is while Nintendo of America was working on distributing the game, the owner of their warehouse headquarters showed up asking for rent, which was late. The landlord's name was Mario. Oh. So the staff started jokingly calling Jumpman Mario, mm. the, you know, the end is history. <laughs> That's all she wrote. Just but he's kidding. a plumber, not a landlord. Right. Yeah, they changed it up. They're like, it'll be too obvious. Too much of a paper trail we back to need, us. We don't need any lawsuits. <laughs> any lawsuits like, Mario. my likeness yeah. is the game. Yeah. This 8-bit, I don't know, is that what you call it? So Miyamoto, what I don't know besides like Legend of Zelda, Zelda series, Star Fox, like a bunch of like a bunch he, of sequels to Donkey Kong. What he's, he's basically the creative head of Nintendo and has been since the beginning of the video game world yeah. of Nintendo, and that includes yeah creating Donkey Kong, Mario, Zelda. Zelda. He designed Star Fox and F Zero, right. and is still like F-Zero. is still the guy running the creative department at Nintendo. And so like even the new Mario game, which is getting beyond good reviews, mm-hmm. like it, people are over the moon about how good this Mario yeah. game is. You know, I just love imagining him just like gleefully playing through it and like he's he's such a lovable personality yeah. to watch him like talk and excitedly well, talk about like video a, games. Well, just like a true creative. He was really Truly. like, I had this idea for a story and let me figure out how to make it come to pass well, and yeah, then with, he designs all these other games. With Zelda, I know it came from him wanting to explore caves as a childhood and like in his childhood. <laughs> <As> a- <laughs> in his childhood. <laughs> <laughs> and like that feeling of adventure and not knowing like what's out there and what you might yeah. find is like f- these very intangible things about what makes a game great or right. what he's able to like fully well, hone in on. And also like how to up the ante with each game without being like, you know, losing sight of what the original game was. Right. right? So like in 1983, that's when Mario Brothers first came out. So he designed a two play arcade game featuring Mario and his brother Luigi. So then from there it was in 1985 was Super Mario Brothers, which is like you know, pretty recognizable music, guys. I'm going to let this play for a little bit. Yeah. Just for my own amusement. <laughs> <laughs> well, I know that, like, the first level of that Mario game is considered to be the greatest level of any video game ever designed. Why? Because the way it surprises and delights you by showing you stuff that you then figure out. Like, oh, yeah. There's all of this study that's done on that level, World 1, mm-hmm. Level 1 of Mario, of, of of Super, Super Mario, Mario Brothers, mm-hmm. as being, like, a work of true genius mm-hmm. that anybody can pick up and be fun. I mean, well, yeah, I mean, gameplay of that was was super easy. It was like, though, even just the whole idea of like the side scrolling mm-hmm. that was kind of introduced with Mario. There were 24 levels in Super Mario. It was all longer than all of the other ones. So it was mm. just like, yes, of course, to us these days, it looks like shit. But right. at the time it was like, you're a fucking genius. Well, it's also like an interesting change was happening around this time where the tr- all, a lot of games that came to Nintendo in the early days were arcade games that were then ported to be Nintendo. Right, and right. if you think about it, like, the difference between how you would set up a game that's trying to get you to put in another quarter mm-hmm. versus a game that you pay $60 up front and then have forever. And have, yeah. And, like, that you just have at your home and you can play it whenever you want. A lot of early Nintendo games, you start playing it and you game over and then you start at the beginning again. Right. And you just continue forward. Right. Where at the home console, it started saving it? Yeah. Right. Well, save cartridges were first yeah. introduced with Zelda. 
Oh, okay. That was the first game that could save anything. And so that changed the whole way that games could be invented and you could start telling a story that right. continues over time. Did you uh, did you have Super Mario Brothers 2? I did. So uh, did you know that there were like two different versions? There was like the <laughs> yeah. Japanese version that was very similar to the first one, but they thought that American peeps would be like, it was too hard. They couldn't handle it. So okay. like, you, well, yeah. I wasn't sure which Mario 2 you were talking about. Right. Because, yeah, th- I know that there's Mario 2 in Japan, which is known as the Lost Levels here in America. Yes. But yeah, yeah, then yeah, there's which... the Mario 2 that came out here in America, which was originally called a different game called Hokey Dokey Panic. Doku Doku Panic. Doku I saw. Doku Panic. Yeah, I thought it was Hokey Doki. Who knows? <laughs> but either way, like it was like there was this whole mishmash, and I remember because this the that game felt so different than the other ones. It's right? such a non Mario game. Yeah, yeah, like the Japanese version is more like the original Mario, but this one was because it you know it was Doku Doku Panic. It wasn't even that. That's right. why it's in the you're in the fucking sand and the desert. And they literally just changed the characters from being like these like kind of racist Indian looking things that I remember <laughs> seeing, and like turned them into Mario characters. <laughs> like. Really? Yeah. Oh, wow. I didn't know that. Well, so the Japanese version, apparently people weren't able to play until uh, Super Mario All-Stars, which I really loved. But I remember in uh, Super Mario 3, which is the one where you get the fucking... The raccoon tail and you get to fly Mm -hmm. and yeah, all of that. So cool. But the big one, the one that I spent the vast majority of my childhood playing was Super Mario World, Ah. which introduced us to to Yoshi. And it was basically just like a super awesome showcase for what the Super Nintendo was capable of at that time. Yeah. Like, it's also crazy to think that it was the last major console side-scroller, like I was saying, moving from left to right, starring Mario, until Super Mario Brothers Wii came along 20 years later. Oh, because, yeah. Because think about all of that. After that, then there was, like, Super Mario 64, well, which there was... weren't the side-scrollers. It was, like, mm-hmm. exploration. Not to mention the fucking, you know, Mario Party and the Mario Karts and all of the handheld ones. Dr. Oh, yeah. Mario. There's Mario Galaxy or something. Oh, man, that, that's my are favorite. Are you familiar? Okay, yeah. And they, they used a lot of the same principles from the original, like, like Mario 64, right? Right. That that Mario Galaxy is like Mario 64 except you're on these like tiny little like yeah. ball-like planets. Ball-like <laughs> planets? Like testicle like No, like, like baseball. Okay, <laughs> like, okay. What I mean is like you're Spear. like a little Mario. You're, I don't know how to describe this. It's Mario Galaxy. Look Go look it up. Yeah. Planets. <laughs> I'm just really happy about, you know, a blue-collar Italian plumber being the, <laughs> An the voice of a plumber. generation. <laughs> Thanks, Mario. So, Mario's a plumber. That's you, right! I just, you, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, we just we just mentioned he's a plumber. Yeah, and I wanted to look into like the craziest plumbing jobs of all time. Ooh, sounds a little messy. Oh, it's messy, all right. Oh, God, no! <laughs> so, in the 1800s, <laughs> London had spent centuries dumping all of its sewage into the River Thames. Oh, fuck. Okay. Three outbreaks of cholera in the early 1800s were linked to the river. They killed around 30,000 people. Mm. The city had 200,000 cesspits and 360 sewers. And Is a cesspit like a cesspool, but a pit? Yeah. Okay. It's, it's basically it a, a, pool, right? a shit pit. Yeah, like I, <laughs> okay. <laughs> it's not good. But some cesspits leaked methane and other gases, and then they would catch fire and explode, killing people. Ugh. All that methane. Oh. Then flushing toilets comes in. Right. And the population of London increases. And just the amount of shit that's going through the not working sewers and just through the river is insane. And this all leads to an event known as the Great Stink. Oh, you've told me about the Great Stink. I have. Yeah. So in the summer of 1858, 
when the hot weather made the smell of the untreated sewage in the river so bad for people working in Parliament that they dipped their curtains in lime chloride to mask the smell. Yeah. That didn't work, so for a little bit they just stopped coming into work. Oh, boy. They even thought about fixing this problem by moving Parliament's offices. It's like, none of these are fixing the problem. Right, you're just, yeah. I mean, 200 to 250 tons of lime were being dumped into the river at low tide, just oh. so that, like, as the tide comes back up, like, the lime is just... Which lime, like, in excess is it, I don't know how toxic it is, or... I don't think it's great, but I right. think that it, it was really just a, speaks to how terrible the smell... Right, and... they just need, they were like, bleach it, who cares? Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so, a crazy man with a crazy plan, <laughs> this it. guy Joseph Bazalget... He submitted an insane, complicated new sewage system proposal, which could actually stop all the shit in London from being dumped into the river. It included building 82 miles of underground sewers and 1,100 miles of street sewers. And until this, sewage just flowed freely through the streets of London. And it took a couple of decades to complete, but that system is still working now in London, getting the job done. Same pipes? Same, same pipes system. as his system. Like, in the mid-1800s, it took them forever to do this. In fact, there were delays to the project, and there were actually another cholera outbreak that mm. could have been prevented if they had, like, finished it earlier. Mm. And so more importantly than fixing the smell, it ended the cholera outbreaks. And this guy, Joseph Bazalget, his actions are considered to have saved more lives than any other individual in Victorian England. Just because he got rid of the shit. Yeah. And historians argue that he should be considered a hero of London, and I agree. <laughs> he is the shit hero of London. Do you remember why they said anything about de-evolution in this movie? Like, yeah, they. So Koopa has like a machine that he can either super evolve people or de-evolve oh, right, them. Of and the way he's making Goombas is that he takes like idiot people, puts them in this machine, and then like reverts them to an earlier state of evolution. Right. And because they're all evolved from dinosaurs, right? Makes no it's fucking just sense. Big old clusterfuck. Yeah. Cool. Well, so I wanted to look into that, you know, devolution, de-evolution, or backwards evolution, however mm. you want to call it, if that is a thing. So, of course, that notion is that species can revert to supposedly more primitive forms over time. So I ended up reading this article called, Are Humans Devolving? It featured an interview with Michael J. Doherty, who's a biologist at Biological Sciences Curriculum Study in Colorado Springs, Colorado. And he had, he had this to say. He said, from a biological perspective, there's no such thing as devolution all changes in the gene frequencies of populations and of course in the traits that those genes influence are by definition evolutionary changes right i guess like even if it is a de-evolutionary change it's an evolution to right. that spot. right well because there's a there's a few assumptions made right the idea that humans might regress or devolve presumes that there is a preferred hierarchy of structure and function so like legs with feet are better than legs with hooves okay breathing with lungs is better than breathing with gills whereas the reality is that both are very useful adaptations depending on what your species is, right? So, of course, people, we tend to be very human-centric and we mistakenly conclude that humans are the ultimate product or goal of evolution. And apparently this term is called thinking anthropocentrically. 
Have you heard mm. that term? Yeah. Where just essentially that humans are the be all end all of, you know, as opposed to animals or right. God or whatever. Which is a ridiculous idea to me. Yeah. We're actually doing 2001 A Space Odyssey next and I can't wait to talk about more yeah. crazy evolution of, of human beings. Yeah, but you, I mean, you could totally see how that idea was codified in this idea of natural theology. We certainly, certainly do that now with intelligent design. Right. And by we, I mean certain people, not we. <laughs> not this show. Yeah. So according to this article, one of the biggest misconceptions is that species evolve or change because they need to change or like adapt to the shifting environmental demands. Biologists actually refer to this fallacy as teleology. I don't know. There's all these like, you know, terms for there's, there's names for everything that are wrong. <laughs> but it basically, you know, this I, I think you could incorporate intelligent design in this. But actually more than 99 percent of all species that ever lived are extinct. So clearly there is no requirement that species always adapt successfully. Our fossil record demonstrates that extinction is not only natural, but pretty common. Mm -hmm. And it's, of course, a response to environmental changes. But when species evolve, it's not because of their, like, desperate need, but rather just because their populations contain organisms with variants of traits that, you know, mm. that offer a reproductive advantage in a changing environment. Evolution can make sense without there having to be some sort of like brain or intelligent higher right. design involved. You're, you're saying that like a lot of these ideas are rooted in the hubristic concept that like there was a purpose. And, and, and also that humans specifically are at the top of that thought. That right. like we're the end goal of all evolution. Which, why right? would we ever think that? Like, I could understand where yeah, these yeah, ideas come right. from. Like we do seem very sophisticated but it's because we don't necessarily have the technology as of now to understand what other animals are saying when mm. they're communicating to us you know all of the reasons that we've talked about before in terms of like remember the fucking dolphin yeah, story the dolphins, you told me like, yeah dolphin sex. <laughs> just thinking that yeah i mean i think another way to look at it is like this idea that increasing complexity is the necessary outcome of evolution. And one of the primary examples I saw was the lower jaw, because as you get more complex in organisms, the lower jaw becomes less complex. Like fish have an outrageous number of jaw bones, okay. whereas our jaw bones evolved into ear bones. Okay. So you're basically saying like complexity isn't the only direction that evolution goes in. Yeah. Sometimes you can evolve to have a simpler mechanism do a potentially complex task. As they say, simplicity is the ultimate sophistication. <laughs> is that what they say? I mean, that's an Apple slogan. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, that, that actually, I don't think that's originated by Apple, but right. I do think that that is like a thing about like simplicity is the ultimate sophistication yeah. as in like what I really want to be able to do is just complete my task. I think that's what was cool about the article is even saying that like that assumption that simplicity is the highest form right. of whatever is the wrong way to look right, at it. Right, right. So. Yeah, it's like there can be complex things <laughs> right. that are good and simpler things that are... It's just like, <laughs> you know, your adaptations as a human aren't going to help you that much if you're a fish. Right. But if you're a fish, it's pretty cool. <laughs> so Apple, change your slogan. Change your slogan. <laughs> Well, talking about evolution and stuff like that, let's talk a little bit about the dino extinction. Oh, and the, what a time. <laughs> the event that occurred, you know, as it's known, because it's not, it, they don't call it like the asteroid event. They call right. it the KT extinction event, right. which is Cretaceous and tertiary. And I don't know why it's a K and not a C, <laughs> but it is. It's a harder sound. <laughs> so here's what we know for sure. 65 million years ago, more than 75% of all species on Earth went suddenly extinct over a really short period of time. Mm -hmm. 
1980, a group of paleontologists discovered a layer of rock that's super weird and different from all the layers before and after. It's like this black line that goes through the sedimentary rock. Okay. And it's super weird. <laughs> well, it's weird because not only does it look different, yeah. but it's filled with iridium, which is a material that you don't really find on Earth, but you do find in asteroids. Okay. Oh. So you see this layer of rock all over the world. Like it was like these paleontologists discovered it and then people all over the world were like this it's here too. It's here too. And so we know that whatever occurred 65 million years ago was a global event. Mm -hmm. Those are the hard facts. There are actually a lot of different theories on what this is and what caused the mass extinction, including worldwide volcanoes erupting, other insane global shit. But what we really think it is, is this asteroid. And we think that the asteroid landed in the Yucatan region of Mexico. There's a 112 mile diameter ring structure there called the Chicxulub Crater. Okay. <laughs> Just last year, we did this huge drilling project into the edge of this crater where we dated the crater to be 65 million years old and that material on the edge was ejected within minutes from deep within the earth and there was evidence of, quote, colossal seawater movement directly afterwards. What does that mean, ejected? Like, it like the material that they found on the edge came out of the earth, like deep within the earth, within seconds. Oh, after Indi impact? Indicating an impact. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Indicating this wasn't like a slow geological right, thing. Right, right, right. But that the rocks that they found, like the granite that they found, was could only have gotten there by an event that occurred like was over yeah, seconds. Crazy, right. It's also worth noting that we think a lot of species of dinosaurs and plants had gone extinct in the few million years leading up to the asteroid. So there's still debate around exactly what killed the dinosaurs. Mm -hmm. But especially after this last year's drilling project, like it seems pretty obvious. It's a 10 kilometer wide asteroid. First of all, it would hit with enough impact to eject a lot of material back into space. Whoa which then has nowhere to go but rain back down over the rest of the Earth. So, oh, my God. Okay. Yeah. So it's not just the asteroid itself, but there's a million tiny little asteroids that get shot back up into space, which come back down covering the entire planet. Okay. That makes a lot of sense because I've always thought it was a little bit funky that, you know, one asteroid and what, like, the entire world's life right. is destroyed. Ex exactly. But when you think about, like, the forces involved right. and how much material actually can then rain back down. Totally. So the asteroid itself caused huge tsunamis that reached all the way to southern Illinois. Oof. Yeah, from Mexico. Mm. Earthquakes were felt all over the world above magnitude 11. A blast the size of 300 million nuclear bombs, causing hurricane force winds and trillions of tons of debris to fly. The temperature around the world is suddenly incredibly high. So that sets off worldwide forest fires that burned up a huge chunk of the world's oxygen. Then there's so much ash and debris in the air that for the next three years, the world is basically covered in darkness. Ugh. So it's crazy hot for a couple of weeks, followed by a significant global cooling, which also carries with it sulfuric acid in the air for years. What are the chances of something like this happening um, now? Well, they, they think these kinds of impacts happen roughly every hundred million years. Okay. So and that was 65? 65 million years ago. We're probably pretty okay. Yeah. And is that the kind of thing that we, we would have a heads up, right? It would well, be like a deep impact moment, like it's the size of Texas, Your Honor. I mean, my th feeling is that by the time an asteroid like this would come, if it does happen every 100 million years, 
we're either going to be dead or we're going to be able to control right. asteroids. Right, we've already destroyed ourselves <laughs> right. like, up until that it's point. It's one of the two. Right. Because right now there's projects to map all the near-Earth objects as mm-hmm. they're known, but we still can't do it 100%. There's, right. there's a lot out there that we don't know oh, asteroid-wise. of course, of course. So turtles, crocodiles, and plants that reproduce through spores did a really good job of surviving this event. Of course they did. Look at those little fucking prehistoric (laughs) motherfuckers. But most plants, like regular plants, couldn't survive without the sunlight, which then sent ripples through the entire ecosystem of the world because when there's no plankton in the ocean, the fish that are trying to eat the plankton die, and then the fish that are trying to eat those fish die. And then, like, it's, it's crazy to me how one thing causes right. a gigantic chain reaction that only spans like three or four years I but mean, changes the course of the world forever well we talked about the butterfly effect on <laughs> yeah. last episode to imagine like a butterfly's wings affecting the atmosphere <laughs> right. in various areas yeah it's the nuts. asteroid effect like you know what just to have a little sliding doors moment like what would have happened do you think if uh, the asteroid didn't hit i don't know i don't think that mammals would have taken over the world right because that was really it like reset the world and allowed mammals and certain other organisms to flourish right that like marks the end of the dinosaurs time the the end of the cretaceous and the beginning of the modern age the pleistocene i just i I freak out when they tell me like you know i see on facebook it's like this movie that you liked when you were a kid is 20 years old (laughs) like the idea of millions and millions of years is too much i'm like i can't even believe that 10 years has passed since x y or z since rihanna's umbrella come on (laughs) whoa i know At some point, I saw a yin and yang pendant in this movie, (laughs) and it was the 90s after all. It was. (laughs) (laughs) And I really just wanted to look into this. I used to, I used to sport a yin yang pretty frequently. Did you? No, I was not not a, you know, no, it wasn't, I didn't put any puka shells, I didn't get any Chinese tattoos. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it was very, I was a poser, let's be real. (laughs) It just looked fucking cool, right? But I wanted to just do a little dive into yin-yang because it actually is a pretty awesome concept. So it's a fundamental concept of Chinese philosophy that dates all the way from the 3rd century BCE or earlier. And apparently yin and yang are the two complementary forces that make up all aspects and phenomena of life. Yin and yang, okay, just to remind you guys, it's like they just represent the dark halves of a circle essentially, right? You remember like on one half it's a... It's like a black. It's white with a black dot. And the other half is black, black with a white, with white dot. dot. You know, it's like very it's gooey. Two sides and fluid of the same and, coin, yeah, however you want to put yada, it. Yada, yada. So they are said to be born from chaos when the universe was first created. But Yin and Yang's achievement of balance in the cosmic egg allowed for the birth of Pangu, the first human. Whoa, Pangu. Yeah. But I, as you're talking, I'm just thinking like matter and antimatter. Yeah. Yin, yin and yang, yang. <laughs> it's the fucking inventing the universe <laughs> as you were talking i was like oh yin and yang stuff save it keep it in your pants keep it in your pants yeah but basically that you know the, the whole idea is that all things exist as inseparable and contradictory opposites right so opposites attract and of course luckily i already knew this because of ms paula abdul but <laughs> did you know that do you know that song i take two steps forward i take two steps back we come together because opposites attract, and you know. <laughs> no, I yeah. didn't know that No? Song. Oh, you're welcome. But thank you. Anyway. <laughs> yeah, so as we were saying, the symbol itself, like, each has at its core an element of the other, which is why, you know, the black side has a white dot at the center, or the white 
mm-hmm. side has a black dot. So yin is the the black section with a white dot at the center. And this is the symbol of femininity, earth, darkness, passivity, and absorption. Mm. You know, those absorption. females are so passive. <laughs> they absorb. Um, they are, it is said to provide spirit to all things. It reaches its height of influence with the winter solstice. And it could also be represented by the tiger, the color orange, and a broken line. <laughs> okay. okay i know it's just like assigning this these meanings like it's ti- present in even numbers and in valleys and streams wait it was a tiger what were they the, t- the color orange and a broken line the color orange yeah hmm. whereas yang which is the white section with the black dot is conceived of as maleness heaven light activity and penetration of course it's said to provide form to all things as opposed to spirit to all things it reaches its height of influence with the summer solstice and it can be represented by the dragon the color blue as opposed to orange and a solid line triagram which just looks like a triangle so of (laughs) course you know (laughs) the women are broken and the men are just provide form and triangles to all the land goes all the way back to yin and yang which i thought was like an equality thing i mean it is though that's that's the thing is like you know i'm getting all judgy because i'm like eh, women can be strong too right. but it's like you know neither side is superior to the other like an increase in one side brings a corresponding decrease in the other it's about achieving this balance mm-hmm. so that's what i liked is like I, i'm all for acknowledging like our uniqueness but it's like the stupid hierarchies that we put in our societies that i that i don't like what i don't like about it is the idea that like everything's in black and white and there's Literally, opposites and right like everything in the world has one truth or one truth. exactly and and then the opposite exact one truth right. is all you have to maintain in order to maintain it's harmony. It's just given us this idea that there aren't shades yeah. of gray in the world. Totally. No, I mean. yeah. So this became popular in the third century BC. One of the main proponents was this, you know, cosmologist and sage alchemist named Zhu Yan. And he believed that the five basic phases that explains the change in the cosmos are earth, wood, metal, fire, and water. And he claimed that these elements were believed to overcome and succeed one another in this immutable cycle and were correlated with the cardinal directions, seasons, colors, musical tones, and bodily organs. So then he comes up with this whole like cosmological theory that starts dominating the intellectual world of the Han Dynasty, yada, yada, yada. Mm. So like on one hand, I, I really appreciate like the sophistication of that philosophy, but I'm totally with you in terms of like, yeah, I mean, harmony is nice, but you're assuming that femininity equals X, Y, Z and maleness equals X, Y, or Z. And you have to have the exact, you know, (laughs) amount of each in order to maintain balance as opposed to the like kind of appreciating that there is beauty and there's balance in the chaos of the world. Right. Yeah. It's interesting. Yeah. That like, I think that there is a truth to it on a universal scale but not on a human scale. I mean, there's like elements of it that I think are true on a human scale for sure. Totally. I mean, like if you're talking about like partners, right? Like, right. You, you know, romantic partners, friendships, whatever it is. Like, I, I agree that opposites do right. attract. You don't necessarily want to interact with someone that's exactly like you. You right. want to find those those balances. But and it's worth acknowledging that like as equal as men and women actually are in reality, they are literally different. Totally. Totally. This is the part where I was like, yeah, because mm-hmm. I think, unfortunately, being reared in a like hyper patriarchal right. society without equity, mm-hmm. I could see why it's like it, it does have to be a, a pissing contest, right? <laughs> right? I would like to eliminate the pissing contest thing of it, but also go a step further and not have it be that, you know, femininity means absorption and rather that like 
men can absorb, women can penetrate, whatever. Right, <laughs> I mean, yeah. like, the future is <laughs> Haven't now. Have you heard of pegging? Yeah. Uh, you know. <laughs> exactly. Thanks, Jeff. <laughs> they also don't explain where out the yin-yang comes from. You know? <laughs> <laughs> Oh, did you have any favorite lines? The only line I had was when the chick, I forget her name, but she is giving her backstory. And basically oh, Daisy? Just, she just like very flippantly drops, oh, well, I was abandoned. Oh, yeah. <laughs> As a child. She, she forgot about that. She like... <laughs> Is like it's like so. Tell me about yourself, and she's like, "Well, I was abandoned as a child." And yeah. John like was almost like, "No shit, so was I." You right. and I have a lot in common. Yeah. Like first Tinder date, like abandoned. Oh, we have so much. In yeah, common. you have trust issues, daddy issues. Awesome. Yeah, love yeah. that. I had at one point somebody yells out, "And you, Koopa, you're a lousy leader." <laughs> Like, yeah, exactly. Like, like real Just fighting like words. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> a lot of symbolism there. Also, Dennis Hopper says, you know what I love about mud? It's clean and it's dirty at the same time. Fuck off, Dennis Hopper Koopa. Yeah. Uh, oh. Final, well, I had a thing. So there's this crazy scene in the movie, right, where Mario saves the quote-unquote Brooklyn babes. Oh, like, yeah, because all these Brooklyn women were, like, going missing. Strippers. They hired actual strippers, universe. I read. Uh, oh, really? Can't. Yeah, strippers in a kid's movie, right? Anyway, so there's this crazy scene where Mario saves these chicks, and they escape via an ice tunnel on a bed mattress with the Goombas chasing after them, right? Mm-hmm. Well, of course... First of all, just <laughs> imagining the Goomba heads that the actors were wearing were like so heavy that they kept falling off. Oh, so just man. like, Whoa! They look heavy. Right, yeah. But then also while on the mattress, someone, no one knows who, thought that they were going too slow. So they loosened one of the wires that was pulling them. Ooh. And then the crew stopped for lunch and, you know, nobody actually checked it when they came back. Oh, no. So they shot the scene where they were like flying out of the tunnel. And I don't know if you recall this, but they were going really way too they fast. They do look like they're going and fast. out of control. And one of the girls like nearly fell off of the mattress, which would have been like a 25 foot drop to the concrete floor below. Whoa. Luckily she didn't. But all of them, when they landed at the end, they all the mattress flipped and they all smashed their heads on the ground. Luckily, we're only bruised Whoa. and we're able to walk away. But it's like, you c- I'm really glad that we don't have to end the show by being like, and then someone died while making this while film. While making Super Mario Brothers? Fuck. <laughs> Man, what, what, like, a what a shit show. Yeah, what a shit oh, show. I also got to mention that like, I'm pretty sure that the reason they called him Koopa and not Bowser is to make the joke that the money in this world is called coupons. Oh, <laughs> sorry, I died. Yeah, it's it's the <laughs> correct died. death to die. Coupons. <laughs> Coupons. And then it also doesn't make any sense because there's like posters up that are trying to, it's like elect King Koopa. That in itself is a weird thing that he's a king, but he needs to be elected because there's a fungus that's running the world. And then like, but You're then the money is called coupons. What the fuck are you talking about? Like right. the king, the fungus king's been running shit. Who put coupons out in the world? That's the monetary. All right. Okay, Jeff I, I got to stop. I lost need to stop. his mind. I'm scared. <laughs> Cowering in a corner. 
Guys, help us. Rate and review this show. Rate and review us on iTunes. You can find us at ohthatsathing.com and at Facebook and Twitter. I'm at It's a Joy and Mia on Twitter and Insta. I'm at Jeffrey Ekman. And this was a time. Yeah. We'll see you guys soon. We'll see you guys next week for what 2001 A Space Odyssey. Classic. For our 50th episode. It is big time It is us. almost the 50th anniversary of 2001. That's next year, right? But That's we were like, fuck year, it. We were like, he was making it during this time. Yeah. And look, it's the 50th episode of our show. Some overlap. We're going to celebrate with a classic. So we love you guys. We'll see you soon. Bye. Bye.